Hey everybody, Cheryl Todd here from Gun Freedom Radio, and I am excited to have as my guest once again, my good friend, Chuck Holton. Chuck Holton is the host of the Hot Zone podcast, and he's the author of a whole bunch of books. Uh, the newest one is what we're going to be diving into today. It is called Shamelessly Hold It Up. This is Bulletproof. One of his previous ones, and prowess is called prowess. Prowess, the man you were meant to be. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very excited about this book, mostly because I'm I'm excited because I'm done with it. It's been a lot of work. You know, I don't really like writing. I like having written. Yeah, I like to see my books up on the shelf, but writing is it's a lot like work. And uh, this book's taken me a couple of years. It was. Uh, a couple of different projects that ended up sort of blending together. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to have it done. I'm already starting to get some feedback on it. And, and that's the fun part. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. Well, for good reason. I have not gotten mine uh, in the mail yet, but I did go to amazon.com, hint, hint, to everyone out there who's thinking of uh, gift ideas. We've got the holidays coming up, all kinds of holidays coming up. And uh, once you hear more about what this book is about and why Chuck wrote it, I think you're going to need several copies on your gift list for uh, the people in your life, the men in your life, and even yourself. I, I want to read it for myself. I I didn't even raise a, a boy child. Our daughter is is a girl, but she married someone's boy child. Right. Right. So right. Um, that's always important to know. So uh, just kind of take us to, you know, you said it was a couple of projects that melded together, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. your books come from a place of there's a need out there, like Bulletproof right. that I have here. It's the making of an invincible mind. So mm -hmm. there's a time and a place for each book to come into the world. And right now, uh, becoming the man you were meant to be. Why is that needed right now? You know, I've been, I've always been kind of surprised. I, I, I write about manhood. I write about men. I go to talk to a lot of men's groups and church groups and school schools and things like that around the country. And I've always kind of been struck when I go to talk to young men. Uh, so youth groups and things like that. I'm just not very impressed with young men these days. You, you take your average high school senior male and you try to talk to him about important things. You know, what really fires you up? What is it that, that you know, gets you going and gets you out of bed in the morning? And, and I get, uh, uh, yo, uh, uh. And, you know, and they can't go 30 seconds without looking at their phone or grabbing their crotch. They can't look you in the eye when they talk to you. They, they can't hardly form complete sentences sometimes. Mm. And I'm just, I'm kind of appalled. And I think back to my grandfather's generation. When a boy was eight years old, he was out in the fields with the men. He was uh, throwing hay and, and cutting firewood and doing the things that men do. And he was learning from the men. He was there absorbing it from the men because he was working alongside them. Well, how often does that happen today? That's kind of the realization that I came to is that young men, really don't have mentors today because most of their teachers are women. I mean, not that you can't be mentored by a woman, of, of sure. course, but they don't have the male influence in their life to show them what it means to be a man. Yeah. 
And, and so they, they, they're kind of treated like toy poodles, you know, stay on the couch, look pretty, don't do anything dangerous, you know, and, 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 and be comfortable, be safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they're not allowed to be violent in any way, shape or form. There's absolutely no physical contact at school and things like that. I mean, shoot, when I was in school, there were fist fights at recess every day and we came out okay, more or less. Right. So, I mean, it's changed so much with the zero tolerance policies and, you know, all that kind of thing that um, we have really, it's almost like we've worked very hard to neuter men before they even become men. Mm -hmm. uh, to just neuter our boys. And so what I get when I go and speak on the topic of manhood is I get young men lining up and, and coming up to me and saying, nobody's ever talked to me about what it means to be a man. And, and I'm confused because see, I'm, I mean, I was just at uh, college of the Ozarks not long ago speaking at their convocation. And afterwards I had like 20 guys lined up that wanted to talk to me and they're, they're telling me I'm 21 years old. I've never had a girlfriend because I don't have any idea how to do that. I mean, think about it. They, they interact with devices so much that they have, they've not learned that very complex and subtle art of wooing a female. And so I watch them when they get around girls and it's kind of at turns horrifying and just plain awkward, just hilarious. You know, even my own sons, you know, I watch them and it's like, Oh, Oh gosh. Oh, wait, stop. Just wait, stop. <laughs> You know, and, and I realize as they come in and talk to me, they, they will tell me, I don't have any idea how to get a girlfriend. And if I do get one, how do I find the right one? Mm. And if I, if I have one that's sort of interested in me, how do I know if she's the right one or not? How do I know if she's the, if she's the one for me? Mm. And so I've, I've got that question so many times over and over and over again that I realized it's time to write a book about this. And, and what I've done with prowess is I've just taken the, the sum of a lot of the correspondence that I've had back and forth with young men and I've rewritten it into the, into a book and even in, included some of it just in its raw form. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's answering those questions. It's the, the young lions who are, you know, skewering themselves on, on their own mistakes getting finally to hear from some old lions. And so uh, as I was doing this, I realized, you know, the military has a process for, for helping the young guys get to where they need to be, get become the men they need to be. And it's called a creed. Every unit in the US military has a creed that they make you memorize when you get there. I memorized the Ranger Creed, you know, uh, and, and we recited it every day before PT. Uh, recognizing that I volunteered as a ranger, fully knowing the hazards of my chosen profession. I will always endeavor to uphold the prestige, honor, and high esprit de corps of my ranger regiment, and on and on and on. That creed embodies the values of the unit, and it's a great way to pass those values along to the younger generation. Well, mm -hmm. our, our young guys don't have a creed today. Mm -hmm. And so I went around, and one, one thing I've noticed is that when I meet a guy who is really... Uh, a mature, uh, effective, powerful man, it, almost every case, he's, he has a personal creed that he's come up with for his life. And so I went around and collected some of those military creeds and collected some of those personal creeds and wrote a whole section of the book about making your own creed, coming up with the creed that works for you. So the book is not about making every man a warrior because not every man's called to be a warrior. Sure. So we can all learn 
from the warrior. Mm. And, and prowess is about becoming the best version of the man that you were created to be. Mm. Not being the man that your parents want you to be, not being the man that society wants you to be, mm. being the man that you were created to be and wielding your manly power well in a way mm. that makes the world around you a better place. That's awesome and amazing. And I'm so happy that there is your voice and your experience out there uh, to talk to the next generation, because that's who we're going to hand the keys off to, right? right? To this world at some point. That's right. And if we have not well equipped them, that's going to be on us. And so then our, our children's children are going to look back at our generation and go, what the, where were right. you? That's what right. were you doing? Why weren't you teaching? <laughs> yeah, it's not even that we didn't teach them to be men. It's that we didn't allow them to be men. Mm. Boys will go out and will seek out that knowledge on their own. I mean, they, boys desperately desire to become men. They want to identify as men. But mm. we've, we've stripped them of the things that taught them how to do that. The ability to go out and get in a fist fight with your friends, you know, and, and, and then make up and, and be better friends because of it. Mm -hmm. The ability to, to go out on your own without having somebody hovering over you all the time and get hurt, yes. you know, go jump your bike off a ramp someplace and break a bone or two, you know? I mean, those are the kinds of things that, that we're just taken for granted yes. by guys my age. Yeah. And my wife and I were talking about it the other day. I wonder if we're not the last generation that will ever be allowed to go just play on their own and, and learn those hard life lessons mm. by, by doing rather than just not learn them at all. Mm. Gosh, that's so true. Um, and I did fail to mention when we were introducing you that uh, you did serve as an army ranger for gosh, a long time. How many years were you in? Uh, four years as a, as a ranger. And then I flew helicopters for four years after that. Very good. And so, I mean, that, uh, everything that we experience in life adds to the, the fabric of, of our lives and who we are. And right. so, um, when you are going and you're speaking to younger people, are, are you talking to younger military guys and are you experiencing them as any different than just say the average high school class? Yes, they are certainly are different. I mean, the military are, is the, I think are made up of the best of us, if you, mm -hmm. if you ask me. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, the military has changed a tremendous amount mm -hmm. since I was in. And even in the military today, there's so much institutional timidity. That is the full bird colonel that's looking for that next promotion. And if anybody gets hurt or if anything bad happens, he's going to, he, he's afraid he's going to lose his promotion. Uh, that, that, the guys in the military are not being allowed to take risks like they used to. Mm -hmm. They're not being allowed to even, I just came back from Afghanistan in, in August and, and I was appalled at the fact that the vast majority of us troops that are serving in Afghanistan right now, never leave the base. They literally never leave the base. Oh my God. And they're, they're in a quote, advise and assist role, which means the Afghan troops are going out and doing things and the, and the U.S. guys are like watching from behind the fence going, okay, you know, and, and, and you can get, uh, you literally get a ticket for walking to the chow hall without your road guard belt on in Afghanistan. Okay. I mean, so that tells me we must've won the war by now. I mean, if they, they got, 
you know, yeah. officers out there handing out tickets to people yeah. for not pretty you know, low priority stuff is right uh, right and and it's just there's a tremendous sense of uh, uh that they're they're so risk averse uh and and i was just kind of appalled at it, it and and it's not that the troops want to be that way i had one guy tell me i feel like a meat eater that's been fed a steady diet of cabbage for 10 months mm. uh, you know the they yeah. resent the fact that they're being you know, held back and not being allowed to go out and really take risks like they were in 2004, 2005. And many of them, you know, they don't even know because they weren't there in 2004, 2005. But I was, and I can tell you, it's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is our whole culture, our whole society is, is getting so risk averse and so wrapped up. I'm so motivated by comfort, fear, and pride Mm -hmm. that, that we're, the men especially are becoming very ineffective Mm -hmm. and that is something to be concerned about. And so prowess is my way of addressing that and, and trying to get some of that manly knowledge into the hands of these young men who, who are motivated to learn it. Absolutely. Well, when I was reading over the uh, synopsis at amazon.com, when Mm -hmm. I was uh, making menbook.com, Yes. When I was ordering that, um, just the synopsis is, I mean, it's worth a pause to stop and look at. It starts with men are in trouble. So we've talked a little bit about, well, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things you've written there is that women now are 20% more likely than men to seek out a college education. And so what does that mean 10, 20, 30 years down the line uh, for the prospects of men to, you know, be maybe the the breadwinner in a household. Now, is that the end all be all of manliness to be the breadwinner? No, not necessarily. But we also don't want to lose that part. You don't want to be another child in the house either. I mean, look, I think women are far stronger than men in many ways. And God gave them that, that strength because he knew that from time to time men would abdicate their role as the provider, protector, and affection giver in their house. Mm-hmm. And so he made women strong enough to be able to handle that. Uh, but that's not ideal. That's not the ideal you know, way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. The way it's supposed to be is that men and women are supposed to complement each other, work together. Mm-hmm. The man is supposed to create an environment upon uh, to, to give his wife a, a canvas upon which to paint the beautiful story of her life. Mm. That's his job. Mm. And so that means providing a safe environment at home mm-hmm. that's free from rancor and hatred and jealousy and anger. That, that means the man picks up the heaviest load and puts it down first and puts it down last, mm-hmm. that he does the hard things and, and shields his family from those things. And he functions as the gatekeeper for mm-hmm. his family. And uh, he, he is in charge of what comes through those gates, whether it's your television or your front door, mm-hmm. and, and is going to affect his family either positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. But when that man's gone, then the woman's got to step up and, and accept that role. And I've had so many women that, uh, look, more women read my books about manhood than, than men do. And that's, a, that's an indictment on men because men just don't read very much anymore. Mm. But women read 80% of all the books that are, written, uh, that are, that are purchased. Mm. 
Mm. And I get so much feedback from women saying, I have got to get my daughter to read this book about manhood so that she won't make the terrible mistakes that I made in choosing mm. a, a passive, weak, uh, you know, self-absorbed man. Mm. And it's so sad. I mean, I have, I've had women come up to me at speaking engagements in tears so they can't even speak and just hand me a note that says, please pray for me. I'm married to a passive man. Mm. Passivity is a toxin that infects marriages around our country and it creates resentment and fear in the people that we lead. we're supposed to be leading as mm. men. We're supposed wow. to be shepherding. So it, it is a, an epidemic. And it's something that the, the good news is, what I tell my boys is, if you're an engaged man, you will be so much more powerful than the weak, passive men all around you mm -hmm. that you will never want for a job, you'll never want for a, for a way to, to put food on the table because an employer will beat a path to your door yes. if you're an engaged, powerful man. And yes. that's what prowess is all about. It's about how to do that. Absolutely. And I'm just going to say from the female perspective, the stronger my uh, spouse is, Danny, you've met Danny, mm -hmm. uh, the stronger he is, the stronger it challenges me to be. Right. And then I really come, you know, full force to who God created me to be. Right. So I, it's like you said, it's a compliment. It's well, a, that's called leadership. That's the technical term. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, right. And it is so important. Uh, right. I, I mean, I would, there are times in our marriage when maybe I am more busy than he is or he, you know, vice versa. It's not about busy. It's no. not about that. No. And uh, when he is his best self, then I am my best self. Our right. daughter can be her best self. Our son-in-law sees that as an example. Our grandchildren will see that. It's uh, And you know, so, so many of the principles in this book really apply to men and women, but I'm speaking primarily to men. Sure. But I mean, you, you know, I, I even have a lot of women that come to me and they say, how do I find the right one? I've been looking for that right man for so long. And I just say, you're going about it all wrong, that you don't find the right one. You become the right one. And when you focus on being the right one, when you're the right man, the God that God created you to be, then theoretically you could choose just about any woman who's not made physically ill by the side of you. And, and you could make her your wife and you could make her happy for all of her days because you would be meeting those hardwired needs that she has. Yeah. That's what, that's what men were created to do. So you just get busy being the man you were created to be and the right one will appear. So it's, I think it's just a, a difference in mindset. And uh, at least from the men that I've been corresponding with, I'm hoping that this book will encourage more young men to contact me, email me. If you, you don't have anybody to talk to, if you need a mentor, just email me. And I do my best to get back to everybody who sends me a, a message and try to help because uh, you know that may end up being that content may end up being the next book that can help even more people. Absolutely, and just right now is a good time to say what that email might be. Uh, my, my email is just chuck.holton at gmail.com. Could not be any more simple than that, chuck.holton at gmail.com. The next two things I wanted to touch on, on the synopsis of the book, I think maybe go hand in hand. One is that you cite that men are three times more likely than women to commit suicide. 
So there are a lot of factors that come into play with suicide, but there's, you know, the core of it is there's a hopelessness that you don't Mm -hmm. see a pathway to tomorrow, maybe the next hour of your life, you don't see a pathway there. You're not being fulfilled or you would have that pathway. Right. And then something that it seems the FBI has actually start identified as a, a group of male people in our world that they consider possibly terrorist threats Mm -hmm. called involuntary celibates. Yeah. So that's a fairly new term. Um, Uh I've been hearing it maybe the last year or so. Uh, But before that, it it was never on my radar and my degrees are in psychology. It's something that we would have studied when I was Mm -hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about what the heck is that? Well, involuntarily celibate pretty much uh, describes about 99% of the guys I went to high school with, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it just, when did they become just the fact of being involuntarily celibate does not necessarily make you a terrorist. But <laughs> the difference, here's the difference. Uh, I, I've been talking about this a lot lately. And it's really fascinating me. Human beings were meant for physical touch. And from the day we're born, we are being touched. We're being held. We're being at somebody's arm around us. We're getting hugged by our family. We're getting kissed by our spouse. We're we're wrestling with our brothers. We're, you know, fighting with our brothers and stuff. And, and, you know, even that is, is again, it's a, it's a a kind of uh, physical touch that, Hey, I'm here. Right. Uh, And so I, by, by being here, I matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today's young men by and large do not get touched. And they've done studies on, on babies in uh, Romania in orphanages that don't get held at all. They mm-hmm. just get left in a crib and they get a bottle stuck in their mouth and they get their diaper changed once a day and that's it. Yeah. And they, they literally fail to thrive because yes. a human being needs physical touch. But if you think about young men today, they go to school. Nobody's allowed to touch them at school. You'll get put in jail if you touch a, touch a kid at school, whether it's patting them on, on the back or getting in a fist fight at recess, either way, you're, you're in trouble. So mm-hmm. kids are not getting touched at school. And then they come home and they go down in the basement and they get online and they play mm-hmm. video games. So they're not getting touched. And then they're consuming so much porn. I interviewed a, a couple of uh, youth ministers for this book, Prowess. And one of the things they told me is uh, one guy said, I have not counseled a single young man. This is, these are Christian young men from the church. I have not counseled a single one in the last five years that was not addicted to pornography. He said, I, I'm to the point now where I just believe that there are those who are d- addicted to it and there are those who lie about it. And that's the only <laughs> two types of young men that there are out there today. Wow. So they're, they're getting a ringside seat to the most intimate of human activity. Right. And yet nobody's doing that for them. Right. And they're not there. And so I, I liken it to eating salted peanuts to quench your thirst. And they just get more and more and more thirsty. Well, then they start to find each other in these chat rooms online and Reddit and 4chan and 8chan and whatever. And, and they start to stew in their own juices and they've formed like a subculture called in and they call themselves involuntary celibates. And they start to resent the world around them and say, those shallow women who, the, all, the only men they're interested in are men who are rich and good looking and powerful and have a job. And it's, that's just wrong. That somehow that's morally uh, repugnant to them that a woman would want a man who has a job and is wealthy and, and looks good. You know? And so 
they start to think that the world deserves to be punished mm. because it's not giving me what I need. Mm. And so they, they have actually identified, the FBI has identified at least four mass shootings in the last couple of years that have been perpetrated by guys who specifically called themselves incels in and, some, and some other attacks as well. But over 40 people that have been murdered by people uh, in the, in those attacks. And then if you start to widen the net a little bit and look at guys who didn't specifically identify themselves as such, but who definitely qualify. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why the shooter in Marjorie Joan Stoneman Douglas high school in Florida, uh, why is there's a reason why that shooting happened on Valentine's day mm -hmm. because he was upset about girls, mm -hmm. couldn't get a girlfriend. And, and so if we start to look at this, it's, it's a real national epidemic at this point. And so the, the pornography is definitely an issue that's got to be tackled. The meaninglessness of all that passive activity, the average young man spends more than four hours a day engaged in completely passive activity, whether that's social media, video games, watching porn, whatever. Four hours a day, you start to add that up, that's over three months a year of their waking lives wow. that they're spending in absolutely worthless activity and, and possibly harmful, right? And, and so that is a serious problem. But the, like I always tell my boys, the good news here is that if you're one of the young men who doesn't do that, who, who eschews passive activity, you're, you will stick your head up above the rest so far that you will get noticed, you will get the job, you will get the girl, and you will have a wonderful life. And that's really what it's all about. We want to promote the maximum of human flourishing. And the maximum human flourishing for our young men is not treating them like poodles and leave it, you know, just be on the couch. Don't do anything dangerous. Yeah. You know, here, here's a, here's a screen to look at yeah. since you're two or whatever. Yeah. The maximum that we can help our sons flourish is by in helping them to embrace hardship, do hard things, go out and find a mountain to climb, find a challenge to embrace. And out of that, you become stronger and it, you know, it's, you know, you will be the man you were created to be, and you will be a man of prowess. I love it. That's, that's so true. It's that it really does, everything does come down to personal responsibility. Sure. And if we are not instilling that value into the next generation, apparently they're not just stumbling on it on their own. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do need to find our ways to engage uh, if we don't have children, then maybe our nieces and nephews, or maybe, you know, uh, if we are part of a volunteer organization or something like that, where we can uh, help people understand that there's so much power in personal responsibility, because then the only place to look if you're unhappy is in the mirror. Oh, well, what have you done to change your circumstances? That's right. I uh, can't say the number of times in my life where uh, that, that's where it's led me, right back to that mirror. And it's like, darn it, but actually. That guy I shave, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, but actually that's amazing because then I can do something about right. it. I'm not a victim. By taking, by, by taking responsibility for the challenges in my life, it gives me power over them. Yes. The, the, the thing about this incel ideology, I've been attacked online by several of them since I, since the book came out saying, you know, how dare you, you know, talk about us like that. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. And, and I just tell them guys, if, if it is my fault, 
then you have no, no way of changing it. You have no control over your life. That's a pretty sorry place to be. But if you, if you will accept responsibility for where you are, even if it's not your fault, you gain power over that problem and you can help fix it. Absolutely. I love it. Um, so uh, before we move on off the topic of the book, there's this new phrase that I'm starting to hear. And I'm wondering what you think about it, because if we're trying to impact the, the next generation, the millennials or the Zs or whoever, whatever these, these new generation names are, uh, if they don't respect what we have to offer them, then I'm not sure what inroads we're going to have. And this new phrase has come up. It's called, okay, boomer. And as a way of just, just blowing off the, the advice of the older generation. Yeah. Like just very sarcastically, yeah. very derisive, you know, like whatever. Mm. I don't, I don't have to listen to anything you say. Um, and I'm not a boomer. I missed it by a year. <laughs> me either. But, uh, but I'm sure they would look at me and, and say the same thing because sure. I'm a mom, I'm a grandma. Well, you uh, know, there's a, the, it, it, there's a Bible verse, a Bible story about that. Uh, David, King David's son, Absalom, uh, when he took power, David had, had given him power. Uh, and then all of his old wise advisors were still there to give advice to King Absalom. But Absalom chose to disregard the advice of the elder, uh, the older guys and take advice from the guys his age and, and, and make things harder on the slaves and make it harder on the people, raise taxes, make it worse. And he ended up losing his kingdom because of it. That's what led to the split. And so, uh, you know, this is a problem as old as time. Uh, if young people want to disregard the wisdom uh, of their, their elders, they will be the worst for it. They will suffer mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can't control uh, what the society at large necessarily does, but what we can do is try to reach them one at a time. And, mm -hmm. and I just have faith that there are enough young men out there who want to learn from other people's mistakes rather than having to make their own mistakes. I mean, look, it is, you, you cannot call yourself smart if you insist on making all your own mistakes. That's just stupid. If other people have made them, then you're an idiot if you got to go make the same mistake over again. That's, I'm sorry. That's just that's the way it is. So I have faith that there are enough young men out there who look at that and say, yeah, I want to learn from, I don't want to go through all that pain and hardship myself. I want to learn from the older the lions. And when they do, that what they're going to find is that they will far outpace, they'll far outcompete their peers who are, you know, back there someplace in their mom's basement watching video games. Very, very good. All right. Well, you are a man of many talents. You wear many hats. As I said, you've got your, your Hot Zone podcast. Uh, you write the, these amazing books. You're a godly man. You're a, a husband. You're a father of several. Uh, you're now a, you're not a grandpa yet, but you're oh, a- Oh, not yet. I, oh, man. I, it's killing me. My, my oldest daughter got married a year and a half ago, and I'm like, come on. You know, I know, like, I want grandkids. Getting like, the watch. Come show on now. Let's pictures go. of my pet monkeys, you know, when I, because I don't have any grandkids to show off. It's, it's really kind of pitiful. <laughs> but you're a father-in-law. You, you, you impact a lot of people in your sphere of influence. 
And you're not, you don't just sit on your laurels and, and say, well, I've got all these kids and all this, this great life, this amazing wife. You actually put yourself out in these, speaking of the hot zone, the name of your podcast, you go into these hot zones, these danger zones with other men, uh, maybe women, I'm not sure, with a group called the yeah, Free women there too. The Free Burma Rangers. Right. And a friend of mine, friend, mutual friend of ours, Miles Vining, he originally was talking to me about this, this group and the wonderful work that they do. And he talked about it like it was just, you know, everybody should know. And because everybody doesn't know, I agree with him. So let's let more people know. What the heck is a free Burma Ranger? So there's a guy that I served in the Rangers with a, a long time ago, uh, who his name's uh, Dave Eubank. And Dave is one of the most impressive human beings you will ever meet on planet Earth. And I, I don't say that lightly, but I, I really mean it. This guy is the epitome of selfless servant. Uh, he's really a, an, an amazing guy. So he became, after he got out of the Green Berets, he went from the Rangers to the Special Forces. And then when he got out of the military, he went to, to Thailand and formed a humanitarian aid organization called the Free Burma Rangers, Burma being Myanmar right next to Thailand. Uh, most people don't know that there's a long standing, like 70 year civil war going on in Burma uh, between the Burmese military junta that controls the country and the Mountain Hill tribe people, uh, the Karen, the Kareni, the Shan, the uh, Kachin. And uh, there are more than 10,000 people being murdered there every year by the government. The government, uh, it's the largest army in the world, I believe, uh, belonging to a country that's not actually in conflict with anybody but themselves. Mm. And, and so they just massacre people on a regular basis over there. So Davian, and his, his group, he started training local guys as medics. And they would go in and they would bring help and hope to these internally displaced people in Burma. And they would, they would actually sometimes have to protect them from the Burmese army as they were being attacked. And so they started to, to train them in, in uh, tactics uh, because they, one of the tenets of their, their group is that if the people can't run, then we won't run. And that just means, wow, you've got a, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a commitment if you think about it. Like if these people are all going to die, then we're going to die with them. And so, he has since trained like 90 teams of, of medics and, and people over in Burma and they go in and they help people all over that country. He's then moved on to Sudan and then Iraq during the fight against ISIS. And now he's been in Syria for a couple of years. And so whenever something really flares up in Syria, he takes a group over there. It's all volunteer group. And uh, this time we had 12 guys. I just came back from a couple of weeks over there. We had 12 guys there uh, when I was there and they just take armored ambulances and they kind of create a, a bridge. See, in every crisis around the world, there's a kind of humanitarian gap that exists between the front line where people are getting injured and the first care that they can receive, whether that's a refugee camp or a hospital or something. There's a gap there that people have to cross themselves normally. And many of them die along the way where there's just no care. In Syria, when I was there in February in the fight against ISIS, the, the humanitarian gap was four hours driving between the front line and the nearest refugee camp. Okay. And so most people would just have died out in the desert if they were escaping from ISIS. 
So what Dave and his group does is they go and they, they help those people bridge that gap and get to care. And they keep them alive long enough. They take medics in there, keep them alive long enough to be able to do that. But this is obviously very, very dangerous. The reason that the gap exists is because that area is too dangerous for most NGOs to venture into. And so he takes mostly military or for, former military guys and runs it like a military operation and armored vehicles and everything like that. And they go in there and literally put their lives on the line day after day after day uh, in order to save the lives of the people who are, who are fleeing the violence. And uh, it, it is a one of the most incredible causes I've ever been a part of. Uh, Help me realize that, you know, if you're a young man and you really want to see some action, don't join the military because the military will lock you up on the base. I was, like I say, I was in Afghanistan in August. They, they weren't being allowed to do anything really, except for a very few select special ops guys. But the Free Burma Rangers, they go over there and they're going in without a net. They don't have air support and they don't have medevacs and they don't have all that stuff. They're just going in on their own. And, and the, the, the thing that sets them apart is that they pray before they do everything. I mean, they pray nonstop. We just, we would pray before we got in the vehicle. We'd pray while we were driving. We'd pray when we got there. We'd pray when we were deciding what to do next. We'd pray when we got back. We'd pray, I mean, just pray, 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 pray. And I fully believe, I mean, all you, you'd have to be there to really see what I'm talking about. But I fully believe that the only reason Dave Eubanks is, is alive today and his family is because of how much he prays. Mm-hmm. And people see that. He's in a Muslim country. I, you know, we were, we were um, trying to rescue some wounded people out of a hospital in Serakania that was surrounded by the Free Syrian Army. And we got permission from the Turks and the Free Syrian Army to come in and get the pe- wounded people out of the hospital and take them out. We got in there and the Free Syrian Army was in control of the hospital. So these are former ISIS fighters who escaped the fall of Raqqa and joined the Free Syrian Army. They're, they're as brutal as ISIS ever was, because they are ISIS. Right. And, and Dave walks into the hospital, and he's surrounded by ISIS guys. And he just, he said, he called on the radio and said, pray for me. I'm about to hug an, an ISIS guy. He just picked the, the biggest, ugliest looking guy and went, hey, went over and gave him a big hug, and then put his hands on his shoulders and prayed for him right then. Just bowed ah. his head and prayed. And this guy was so bewildered at what was going on that he, uh, uh, okay, okay, you know, and he kind of <laughs> hugged him back a little bit and, and just disarmed the whole situation. Wow. But anyway, so it's a fascinating organization. They do really great work and they are saving lives in places where lots of lives need to be saved, without a doubt. Absolutely. And I, I think we can all, uh, those of us that are uh, prayer warriors, the, pray, the praying kind that I think we can definitely spend a few prayers for the, the people doing that incredible work, that life. One of the members of the, of the team was killed uh, about a week after I left. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so just the 2nd of November, mm-hmm. he was killed by an airstrike, a uh, Turkish drone attack mm-hmm. on a marked ambulance, by the way, war crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they bombed one of their ambulances and uh, wounded three, well, wounded two, killed one, and and uh, Dave somehow made it out unscathed. But uh, wow. so they do need your prayers, without a doubt. Absolutely, they and and you, because you're one of them. Uh, I it, I am very proud to to number myself among men like that. Uh, I mean, I I was telling Dave when when I was there, I said, you know, 
I didn't come here to die. I don't want to die while I'm here. I got a picture of my wife on my phone here that I look at every day that I, just to remind me of why I want to go back. But you know what? If you had to die, this would be a pretty good group of guys to die with. You know, I, w- I would feel pretty good about that. It'd be an honor Absolutely. to die with, with men and, like that. And doing that work, I, I think yeah. I agree with you. But yeah, you, you caused me to pause a moment when you, you said armored ambulances. I was like, the ambulances are armored. <laughs> that tells you that they're not afraid. The, the other side is not afraid to commit those war crimes and right. fire upon uh, these life-saving vessels. We were fired upon almost daily while I was there. Crazy. Uh, almost every day. And I mean, it's really amazing that more of us weren't, weren't injured. And there were some cases where, in one case, we were ambushed by uh, uh, about a dozen guys with crew served machine guns from mm. 200 meters and none of us got hit. It was a miracle. So this is a, a, a great place to kind of, you know, come full circle and start to wrap up a little bit. But, you know, your book, uh, Prowess, Being the Man You Were Meant to Be, you've written that because there are people out there that are just a little shiftless, uh, maybe a lot shiftless, you know, just not quite finding their purpose in life. And what yeah. greater purpose can any of us have other than to live in service of right. our fellow man and woman? Well, yeah, and this, you know, this is my message to young men. It's like, I just came back from Syria where people are literally dying every day. They're starving to death. They don't have enough water. They don't have enough medicine. Where were you? You were playing video games. Yeah. Congratulations. You've made yourself useless. Yeah. You were not created for that kind of a meaningless life. There is so much need around the world. That's what I do for a living. I go and report on this need. And I've seen it from Venezuela to, to Baghdad and everywhere else this year. There's so much need. There's so much that you could be doing to help your fellow man. And you leveled up on Call of Duty. What? You know? So that's what the book is about. It's a call to action for young men. Yeah. And the, the people that are so desperate to try to find life and to, to hold on to their one and only life. And then there are men here that are basically throwing theirs away. Right. Uh, and and uh, there's, there's definitely um, messages there for. I really think, I, I really think Cheryl, that one of the reasons why our troops suffer so much when they get back to the United States does not have to do with the trauma that they're being exposed to in in the war zone. It has to do with the anger that they feel when they get home. They've just been over there in the war. They've seen firsthand how precious and costly our liberty is. And then they come home and they see how clueless most Americans are, that they take this precious gift that their friends were just recently dying to secure for us, and they sit on it and play with it at Facebook, or they sit on it and play video games, and it makes them angry. And I think that's part of the the issues that our troops are going to have to deal with. Absolutely. I agree with that. And so... uh, when you are over in these hot zones, you do often take footage and, and talk to us via your, your, pa- your podcast called The Hot Zone. Uh, talk to us just briefly about what that is, how folks can uh, tune in. And, and Because I have learned so much from your podcast because you're, 
you're not the media. There's right. no like slant, like, well, you have to present it in either a conservative voice mm -hmm. or a, or a liberal uh, uh, narrative that you have to fulfill. You're just saying, look, this is me. I'm Chuck Holton. I'm standing here. I'm talking with this other human being. And here is our experience. Here's what's happening. Uh, I think that most Americans are getting very, very tired of the clown show that is the U.S. mainstream media these days. I mean, I am so fed up with hearing about bickering between the partisan different, different sides. I'm so fed up with hearing about, you know, celebrity gossip and, oh, you know, Britney went out without her panties again or, you know, whatever. I'm so fed up with that. That's not news. No. In the meantime, like I say, there are people suffering all around the world. And one of the frustrating things is that if you ever do hear any of that important news that breaks through that, that there's, you know, people dying in Syria or Venezuela or whatever, there's nothing you can do about it. You, you know, you, you feel helpless to do anything about it. So it's a kind of depressing because, you know, there's all this mayhem happening and you're just powerless. You just have to sit there and watch. Well, the hot zone was created to take advantage of the technology that we have at our disposal today with new media and enable people to literally reach through the news, through me, and impact the lives of the people that are in those situations. So I'll give you a great example. I met a bunch of single, uh, several single uh, young ladies in that, that had been sleeping on the street in Colombia mm -hmm. after they escaped from Venezuela. And mm -hmm. things were so bad that they were, they, they, it would be better to just go somewhere you didn't know anybody and sleep on the street because at least you could get something to eat. And there's nothing to eat in Venezuela. Right. And so as I, I, I did a whole series for my podcast where we took them to a, like a big box grocery store and they walked in and I just recorded their reactions just going like, <laughs> they, they didn't even know there was so much food in the world. I mean, they were just blown away that there's 17 kinds of shampoo that we live in a socialist country. You get one shampoo. That's it. I mean, there's no, holy cow. That, and they were just blown away by that. Wow. And they all had, so what we did is we said, what would it take to get you to the next level, the next place you need to go to improve your life mm -hmm. and the next step for you? And for some girls, it was 40 bucks. For some girls, it was 180 bucks for a, a, a plane, I'm sorry, a, a bus ticket to get to the other side of Colombia where they had some family that could take care of them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they, they couldn't, they didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. Well, Hot Zone podcast listeners donated the money to help those girls. And wow. so then we made another podcast about it where I went and said, okay, George, here's your $180. We're buying the, plane, the, the train ticket or the bus ticket, I mean, and giving it to this girl now. And by the way, then I helped him connect with them on Facebook so that he could keep, and he, those people still keep up with those girls today. That's and, amazing. Yeah. So it's really a cool way to not only learn about the important things that are happening in our world, but actually be able to have an impact. I think, you know, people get fed up with trying to give to these mammoth aid organizations and you don't know what's happening to your money. And then it turns out that the, uh, you know, the CEO is making $17 million a year or something. Right. right. And in this way, you've, you see, a, and that we're very small. We're very small. We can't help a lot of people. If you want to help a lot of people, we're not the place to do that. But if you want to know exactly who your money is helping, that's where I come in. And I meet somebody and I, I tell you their story on the podcast. And then the next day I've already received a, you know, some donations through PayPal or whatever. And we get that money out. We take it directly to them and we, we help them directly. And that way people know that they're making a difference. 
That's amazing. Um, Something else that, you know, here at this holiday time when people, you know, maybe they don't have a lot of family, but they, they have that thing inside that they want to help. They want to give. Um, I think that that is a beautiful vehicle uh, to help people uh, connect with other real live human beings that, that need the help. Uh, It's amazing. Well, just as we wrap up, uh, Chuck, I want to appreciate you so much or tell you, I appreciate you so much for all that you do and uh, all, all the example that you set and tell folks again how they can buy all of your amazing books, including Bulletproof and what's this one? A More Elite, <laughs> a more elite Soldier. soldier. <laughs> I don't have that one. I better get that one. Yeah. Uh, so the best, I mean, if you want a signed copy as a gift or something like that, they make great stocking stuffers. Uh, you can just go to makingmenbook.com. And uh, that'll take you to the store. There's a sale on right now, uh, kind of a, a launch sale where you buy the physical book and you can get the audio book for free. Uh, so we're, we're selling a lot of those. I already sold out of my first printing of these things and uh, we're getting some more in uh, here in the next week or two. So that's the best way to do it, but you can also find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. That's fantastic. So audio, did you do the audio yep, for the book? I narrated it, right. Oh, that is one of my bucket list things is I want to uh, narrate a book and probably need to just sit down and do that work you were talking about and write one. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. I can appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you again so much for all you do. Happy holidays to you and your family. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Happy thank New you. Year all those wonderful things. And uh, we will well, I hope to see you, uh, see you this year. I don't know if I'll make SHOT Show or not, but we'll, if I can make it, I'll definitely be looking for you. Absolutely. You know, there's a place at the dinner table for you. So all we right. always go to dinner while we're there. So let yeah. me know for sure. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank God you so much, you. Chuck Holton. Yeah. Take care. You too. All right. Stick around. There's always lots more coming up on Gun Freedom Radio.